Well, hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson. You're with me on I Don't Care with, yeah, me, Kevin Stevenson. Uh, really glad that you joined us today. Uh, a very interesting topic. You know, we've got we've got a very interesting guest today. And interphyta in neurofibromatosis or NF, an incurable condition that causes tumors to grow in the brain and spinal cord. Today's guest, Children's Tumor Foundation President, Dr. Annette Bacher, is pioneering game-changing ideas in disease research. And according to her, compounds that could help kids with cancer are gathering dust on big farmers' lab shelves, and she's trying to do something about that. And so Dr. Bacher has been recognized by over 30 peer-reviewed papers, patents, and awards. She's been published in Newsweek, no telling what else she's done. So Annette, welcome to I Don't Care, and congratulations on that 10th anniversary at CTF. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here, and thank you for inviting me for this Great. interesting discussion. Happy to have you. So, so Annette, tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, CTF and what really stirred your passion for this work. So I'm a biochemist by training a long time ago. Um, I was both in academia and in industry and then in industry, both in large pharma and in biotech. And one of the things that I discovered while I was in these two relatively separate ecosystems was that they're really very separate. The motivations that drive academic researchers is publications, makes, in fact, make things public as quickly as possible. The motivation that drives pharmaceutical companies is to develop, develop those drugs, but in the meantime, also in order to be able to fuel the development of new drugs, they need to patent, so they need to keep the stuff secret, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the very different systems that these two worlds are living in makes it very difficult to translate discoveries into better treatments for patients. And in fact, the for me, the foundation is really the place um, where I thought that we would be able to make a difference to not so much do the science, but do the science politics and mm -hmm. make sure that now these discoveries that are made are not just published, but are actually lead to better treatments. Sure. It's about bringing the models to the drugs. It's about bringing the different stakeholders together. It's a real creating that ecosystem. And so talking about the foundation, yes, our foundation is focused on neurofibromatosis, but what we really try to do is build a blueprint for what functions can do that nobody else can do, which is what we call connect the unconnected. And that is in fact what we're in the business for. Very interesting. So what what caused you to go into this field? I always find that my guests have, there's some something in their background that really spurs them into uh, the aspect of healthcare that they, that they uh, join. So what about you? Well, I was always, inspired by cell biology, obviously, because that was my uh, initial degree. Mm -hmm. um, what really spurred me into the pharma was to say like, okay, you, you make all these discoveries and now what? And in the meantime, I saw, you know, some of my friend's parents get cancer or get sick. And I was like, okay, wait, this great discovery should somehow be translated into something better for patients. So that drove me into the pharma industry. And as I said before, what drove me to the foundation was to say, we're kind of stuck. There is, yeah. there is this disconnect. We have these fantastic papers. I was in the brain tumor field when I was in the biotech, my last job. Mm -hmm. And at that time, now I'm talking about 2004, the standard of care for glioblastoma was temozolomide 
today it's still temozolomide. So I think there is a, the systems that we're using to select drugs in the pharma industry are not the new systems that we're having in the academic mm -hmm. environment. So we just needed to bring these two together, which of course is easier said than done, but it's, I'm my, my philosophy has always been move the foot, don't blame anyone, incentivize them to change their behavior and feel good about it. Sure, absolutely. Well, let's talk about those shelved assets. And in full disclosure, I spent some time at Generic Pharma uh, with, with a large uh, uh, pharma distributor and that will remain nameless. But uh, so I know a little bit about the world. And, and of course, you know, I, I saw it from the business side and, and everything driven by the dollars. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's great that, that we have the ability to develop drugs, but, you know, there, there's got to be some way to, to get, unfortunately, a return on investment. So how do you, how do you, as you said, incentivize these large, you know, big pharma to, to release these shelled assets to other, uh, other organizations that might be able to do something with that? What, what's in it for them? It's a $10 billion question. I right. think it is a, it's a very hard one. Um, well, we helped, for example, spin out Merdametinib from Pfizer, which mm -hmm. was a drug that was on the shelf on the Pfizer side. I brought the head of Pfizer Cures and at that time also the chief medical officer to the NF space, showed them the difference they could make if they would move that drug out of Pfizer back into another commercial entity. Mm -hmm. And they have been extremely helpful in helping me and making sure that we get the right people behind the idea that it is a good idea to take these assets that are not per se developed by the companies, but to get them out of those companies back into um, clinical mm -hmm. development for an indication like neurofibromatosis. What is in it for them, which is a very interesting question. I think there's two things. The one thing, I think it is the right ethical thing to do. It is no exactly like 15 years ago when we asked people to trash plastic in a different bin than the other trash. Mm -hmm. Everybody looked and said, are you crazy? I'm not gonna have three bins in a New York apartment of 150, right. but now everybody does it. Sure. It has become the norm. And if you don't put your trash in two, di two different bins, people look at you like, how irresponsible are you? So I think it is the first, if it is the right ethical thing to do. Mm -hmm. The second thing where I would like to incentivize pharmaceutical companies to do it, if we can connect the release of selled assets to their ESG scores, because I foresee that within this and a few years, investors will only invest in responsible companies. Mm. And what is a responsible company? A company with a good ESG scorecard. So if yeah. we can couple, you release a shelved asset, you get a better grade on your ESG scorecard, mm. then I think we can incentivize companies to release these shelved assets. Mm. Is it an uphill battle? Yes, but I think it's worth the fight for our patients. Yeah, I know when you're talking about investors, it's like I'm sure there's, you know, many people look at look at uh, socially responsible organizations to invest in, but there's still a lot of people out there. What's my biggest return on my investment? So, uh, so it's, so let's. It's maybe right. They have to think about their return on investment because sure. 
if a pharmaceutical company doesn't think about return on investment, they don't have to, the money to invest yet in a new asset, right? So I think we just have to get the philosophy in their head that releasing those assets that still may have commercial value, that are safe, and that may help patients, I don't see why you wouldn't release them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a uh, that's a great philosophy, and that's one that we we follow here in, in Catholic healthcare. Uh, I had a, a nun many years ago look me in the eye and say, "Remember, Kevin, no margin, no mission." And so, you know, you've got to tie both the financial side to the mission side and, and the ethical aspects of it too. So, 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 talk to me a little bit about your Bridge Initiative. It sounds really interesting. I was able to take a look at it online. Uh, I'd like to hear a lot more about that. So the Bridge Initiative was, in fact, based on our experience with SpringWorks. So when we went to Pfizer and we said, okay, we really want this drug. This is really an important drug. We really would like to use this for our NF patients because they they, they need it and they could really benefit from it. Mm-hmm. It took about two years and 200 volunteers within Pfizer to get this drug out from Pfizer into SpringWorks. And in fact, when we did the full analysis of saying, why does it take so long? And why this is so complicated there we made a whole list of things that we learned a couple of things that i would like to highlight is number one once an asset has been shelved a project team gets disassembled Mm. everybody goes to another project team nobody has time to look at it number two somebody put that asset on the shelf and does not want to be wrong Mm -hmm. so it's an emotional factor the third is that the data is a little bit everywhere, but nowhere at the same time. And then the fourth is, what is the commercial value? Why would you spin it out if there is nobody who would pick it up with money? So the bridge initiative is based, in fact, on those learnings and other learnings. But those learnings is one, we need to help the pharmaceutical companies to understand which shelved assets would make sense for our indication. So we have assembled a very strong scientific advisory board who has helped us say and said, These are the molecular mechanisms you should be looking for. So that was the first thing. The second thing we said is, okay, we as a foundation will go into the data room. You assemble the data because that we can do for you. Mm -hmm. We will go into the data room with our scientific advisors and we will make sure that the asset that has been selected is really the best asset out there. And we will exactly tell you what the target product profile of that asset should be. How should that product be developed towards the clinic? And then the third thing is we're working with the Milken Institute, Faster Cures from the Milken Institute to say, we will also help you draft a very reasonable agreement that yes, give us the asset. Yes, you will get a return on investment. So it becomes something that I feel almost something you can't refuse, right? And then the the last characteristic in Bridge is that we have a friend with money. So we have some investors that have signed on some kind of letter of intent saying, if you bring us the right asset, then we will also put some money on the table. So those four to us felt like the perfect mix to get these assets out of companies. The thing we're still feeling is we still need to find the companies that are really willing to play um, and that really feel that one, ethical, Mm -hmm. two, have the courage, and three, are willing to take the time and and take the risk, honestly. Mm -hmm. Take Take the bet, right? 
Yeah, so that's, that's why we came up with our ESG solution. Like, mm -hmm. okay, let's forget all the negative. Let's try to see how we can make this a positive experience for pharma. That's why we have been thinking about ESG. Sure. Well, and, and you look at it from the standpoint too, you know, in pharma and people ask me all the time, why, why do drugs cost so much? Because they know my background, they know my, my hospital uh, leadership background as well. And I tell them, so much of it is, is, is generated in research and development costs. And so once you've already, I mean, you have sunk costs in R&D. So they're already spent, you're not going to recoup those. So, you know, that gives you obviously much better traction with what you're trying to do to get them to, to release that. And so, you know, and, and everybody likes a little good publicity. So when these corporations do this, and particularly yep. around, you know, you and I both know that that if you if you involve children in anything, you know, from a fundraising standpoint or something like this, you're going to get more, you know, you're going to get more traction on something like this. So exactly, so, exactly. Okay, yep. very interesting. Well, let's talk about uh, another point that that uh, uh, I was looking at uh, regarding everything that you're doing around data sharing. You yep. know, uh, we we've got to talk about COVID, and you and you talked about the global collaboration on, on COVID between academic and pharmaceutical firms. Let's talk about how that relates to, to disease research, uh, you know, now and, and, and hopefully in the future. Yeah, so it's, um, again, the same philosophy, right? Move the foot. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the, the things, and I'm talking about 2014, when we started the data portal, um, one of the things that I saw were, were two were two things that I observed. One is that when we are funding academic research as an organization, when you give them the money, they do good with it. They write your publications. But if it fails, nobody knows. Mm -hmm. So when I went into the historic database of our organization, I saw that there were some studies that were funded multiple times. And because we can't share the data, because we're under secrecy with the people that we fund, but if that data doesn't come out, it's nowhere. It's in people's drawers. So one of the things that um, what motivated me to start Data Portal was to say, okay, do me a favor, just share the stuff that doesn't work. So at least we start understanding what we're not investing in anymore. And when people submit a grant with the same kind of, uh, for the same study, I can tell them, go to the data portal, check it out because it's already shown that it doesn't work, right? So that's the one thing. And then of course we learn way more from negative things than from positive things. Mm -hmm. The second um, opportunity was that there were some problems in the NF space that were much bigger that one lab alone could never solve. Um, it would require multiple labs to collaborate. Hmm. tissue if you want to do massive analysis of certain tissue in a rare disease every lab has five tumors you can do a serious analysis right so you need multiple labs to collaborate if you want to build a new preclinical pipeline for nf1 or nf2 you really need an international collaboration of labs that hmm. bring together models experience and blah, blah blah right so we created these what were called synodos teams which was really big collaborative um a consortia and then we said okay by contract if you work within such a consortium you have to share your data mm -hmm. the data will stay yours as long as you look at it but the day you don't look at it anymore we're going to take off the walls and everybody can look at it so that is what we have been doing now over the past seven years um we've had about six five or six six um mm -hmm. consortia that collaborate 
and it has really accelerated certain science. That is, and then, in fact, that has led to a, what I call the data movement, where now little by little, other organizations like NTAP, which is another NF funder, the NIH, CDMRP, have also incentivized their researchers to share their data, which then has led to, we've done now over the last three years, we've done hackathons, where really people come from all over the world, look at the data, not because they want to know about an F, but they just mm -hmm. see that we have the data and it's mm -hmm. fun to play with the data to understand more. And that is what has created now an exciting community of people that look at data and work together. So it has really created the data movement, but it's, it's hard work. Hmm. Sure, absolutely. Very interesting. Well, let, let's shift gears a little bit. And I was reading that that you've done some some incredible incredible things around NF. Particularly, I see that you brought the first ever treatment for NF to twelve countries. Talk a little bit about that and about the clinical trials uh, in and around that. So, what is really interesting is it's not us alone. It's it has been really a massive collaboration between major funders, whether it was the NIH, whether it was CDMRP, whether it was NTAP, whether it was even a Japanese organization that works on NF, whether it's CTF. So we have all co-funded, interestingly, organically almost, these studies, whether it was the basic research or whether it was the clinical trials or the preclinical trials. So what we have created is almost like we, we we build a what it, what we call now the mech storyboard which is really a, the lifetime of this discovery of this drug that has led to the approval of Coseligo, which is now being um approved in in all these countries okay but it's really Great. a collaboration and i think that is where <clears throat> that is really the the message that i would like to give to the world is that if you want to make major breakthroughs of that level work together, fund together, don't compete as funders, don't compete as mm -hmm. researchers, because that doesn't work. Exactly. Well, <laughs> we've seen we've seen what happens when people collaborate in and around the COVID-19 vaccines. Exactly. Uh, yeah, with, with the FDA. And and that was uh, so many people had a trepidation about taking the vaccine that that went through the FDA in, in, in months rather than years. And oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and, and and it just shows that when people collaborate and 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 really focus on something, that, that things can get done quickly. Uh, so so anyway, so so what's next for CTF and for you? Most importantly, I really think that we need to go global now, and we are global. So we launched CTF Europe in in November 2018. And why do we need to know global? Because we as we always say, right, NF has no borders, neither does CTF. So I think that is one major thing because we need to really reach the patients because I see that we're going to get way more clinical trials. So we need to make sure that all those patients that have NF can benefit from those trials. That's one thing. The second thing I really would like to do is build platform trials. And we're doing that now within an um, Innovative Medicine Initiative grant because the problem for rare disease and for a condition like neurofibromatosis mm -hmm. is and I was this morning on a pediatric cancer uh, panel, it's really patient recruitment is holding us back. Mm -hmm. So what we would like to do is create a network of clinics. We, we already have in the US, but we want to build now a global network of clinics that see the patients, build some kind of longitudinal natural history study of these patients mm -hmm. and offer them treatments as they need it. 
But that means that in fact, the patients are part of the study all the time and they can be offered treatments which will help the patients to get treatments when they need it and not have to figure it out that there's treatments around. And the second thing is that towards the pharmaceutical companies, we will become way more attractive because now we don't have that patient recruitment problem anymore. We have the patients that are with us that are actually waiting for treatments to come out. So it's an, it, that is for me a very big thing that will help us a lot. And then of course, build relationships with the pharmaceutical companies so that they see that NF is actually a viable disease area for them and that they can really make a difference for patients with an F that I think I really deserve better treatments than okay. surgery or watch and wait. Okay. So obviously the work has been around NF now. Any thoughts on other childhood diseases? I think what we're doing, um, I hope what we're doing mm -hmm. is to build a blueprint for rare disease. And once we have figured this out for NF, I feel that we may be able, and we're already doing that, we're helping a lot of foundations that call us and say, could you help us with this? Could you help us with that? I think we can really build a blueprint for rare disease and roll this model, if it works, really out towards rare disease in general and pediatric cancer. And I think we can build some real big ecosystem here that will help many sick patients, hopefully. Okay. Well, Annette, it's been fascinating hearing more about this and, and certainly hearing your passion for NF and, and particularly around getting big pharma to, to collaborate and cooperate. And so I think that's wonderful. Any, any, final, any final words from my audience? I'm going to throw out the plea. Okay, please do. Pharmaceutical companies, if you hear this and you think and you have an oncology pipeline, we have drugs that you have drugs, sorry, that we would like to have. So please open the door and let's talk. We want to be reasonable, but we really need your drugs. All right. That's a, that's a great way to end on. Dr. Annette Bacher, the uh, president of Children's Tumor Foundation. So happy that you were on I Don't Care today. It's, it's been very interesting hearing this aspect of the pharmaceutical industry and what you're doing to, to help improve uh, the lives of kids. So with that, uh, it's a, a yet another episode in the can for I Don't Care. Uh, so glad you joined us today. You know how to find us on uh, Market Scale Radio uh, or on Spotify or iTunes. Hopefully you've already subscribed and will end today like we always do. If you haven't subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, why haven't you? With that, we'll talk to you next week. Take care.